Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. All right, you may be seated. Uh, Actually, no, sorry, we have some scripture to read. Who's reading our scripture? Chelsea, would you come and read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37? Um, And that's on page 810 if you're using the Bibles and the seats in front of you. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not answer an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Uh, before we just jump straight into this, um, I do wanna brag on our kids. We took 17 kids this week to kids camp, which is really great, really awesome. And um, I know Rosalinda can attest to this. Quinn can attest to this. Our kids did phenomenally. Um, they were awesome, such, such a fun group. There's, I'm, I'm trying not to laugh, just thinking at things that were said this week and things that, things that happened, nothing weird or anything, just funny things. And so a great group of kids that I, that I am confident um, and I can personally attest to that they heard clear um, teaching from God's word. Um, the gospel was presented. Um, they, were, they were invited to respond. Um, and so now we just pray that the Lord would, would uh, continue to do that work in them that only he can do. And so it was just a very fun and joyful week and exhausting too. So um, yeah, give Rosalinda and Quinn and myself hugs, okay? Because we need it. Um, all right, Matthew chapter five, verses 33 through 37. There is a, a depth and a complexity to this passage that we will not have all the time to dig into today. But at the same time, there is, there is enough simplicity and relevance to it that it speaks poignantly to each of our lives. And so it's both complex um, in, in what it says um, for us to understand, but I think in what it means, um, it's something rather simple for us to apply and to understand um, because of what Jesus is saying. And so at least one thing that has stuck out to me this week is the challenge of this concept that Jesus is teaching. And so <clears throat> we oftentimes, we talk about interpreting the Bible um, through our own cultural lens. If you, if you remember one illustration that Kevin gave one time is we kind of peel back the, 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 the husks of the corn. Um, and, and the point of that illustration was, so oftentimes we read the Bible through our own cultural lens. And I think that this passage is one of those that we have a hard time with because of how challenging our culture um, makes it to maneuver life without contracts. And so we read this and we automatically think that's impossible. You know, there's, there's no way that we could, we could ever do what this thing says. And yet the early church and the Quakers and the Puritans, they took this very literally. Um, now, I think there's a little bit different of an interpretation than taking it full on literally to, to that if you ever have to buy a home or civil duty or anything like that, I, I don't know 
um, how exactly to maneuver that. In fact, I'll admit something to you here in just a minute. And so what we also know is we simply can't get through life without being confronted by the things that Jesus addresses here. Um, this, these, these oaths and these contracts. And so the question that many of us have, here's the question, here's the tension that we feel this morning. Is Jesus saying that we must never enter into any kind of contractual agreement with anyone beyond a simple verbal agreement? My simple answer is, I don't know, okay? Um, I don't know. We're gonna, this is, this is preaching. The, the, the cool thing about preaching is, is that hopefully it's a springboard for you to, to study the word. And we're gonna be, do the best we can this morning to be faithful to this text um, and to apply it in, in ways that we believe are, are godly um, and faithful. Uh, but use what I say here this morning as a springboard for your own study of God's word. And then let's walk together through what that looks like living our lives. And so here's, here's where that answer isn't coming from. My answer of I don't know. Here's where that answer is not coming from that I hope you'll just believe the best about me. Um, the answer isn't coming from an, an, an attempt to sidestep God's word, okay? It's, this is not me saying, yeah, here's what Jesus says, but it's not an attempt of me to sidestep God's word, and it's not an attempt to act as my own authority or as your authority um, in this area. It's simply just an acknowledgement of I'm very limited, and I can only understand and teach so much. And so where I kind of feel the safest places is just to walk through this text, to look at the context of those who are hearing this, um, and, to, um, and to just kind of discover some of that. But what we can know and what we do know, listen to this, what we do know with crystal clear certainty is this, that God is serious about the integrity and the honesty of those who desire to be citizens of the kingdom of God. We know that. That is a, a baseline understanding of, of what this text is saying, is that God is way more serious than us, that we live lives of integrity and honesty. And so maybe some of us are wondering, man, Jesus just got done talking about anger and how if we're angry, we're guilty of murder and lust. And if we look at a woman with lustful intent, we're guilty of adultery. And if, if he talks about divorce, and so why would Jesus include something as, as inconsequential or insignificant as this in this heavy teaching? And as we said last week on the topic of divorce, I think this is why. Jesus is teaching us that the gospel leaves unturned no stones. The gospel affects every area of your life. Remember, uh, we don't just not lie on Sundays because we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to lie, right? No, we are people of integrity and honesty every day of the week. And so as we talked about last week, Jesus is teaching us that the gospel affects every area and sphere of our lives. And, and what Jesus is gonna continually show us in the gospels, you gotta hear this because we're guilty, okay? I'm just gonna say this. I'm not to shame, but to, but to state a matter of fact, okay? We've gotta understand this. There is no compartmentalized discipleship in the kingdom of God. There's not. And we have, we have compartmentalized the living daylights out of following Jesus, haven't we? That we've got our Sunday life and then we've got 
our work life, we've got our family life, we've got our private life, we've got all these things. And what Jesus is going to continually teach us is that discipleship cannot be compartmentalized like that. It affects every area of life. And so what we also know with near certainty is that this is an issue that no one in here is unaffected by. We're guilty of our own words being careless at times and our truthfulness being careless. And to continue the theme of transparency that I have attempted to establish over the last weeks, I have shocked myself before, and maybe you'll admit this too, I have, I have been shocked before at how flippant I can be with my words and how easily a lie can just fly from my mouth. Am I the only one in here that has ever experienced that? And we're, I'm gonna challenge you here in just a little bit, maybe get some feedback, because right now I feel alone, y'all. I feel like I'm the only one in here. But here's the thing. Here's why this is of utmost importance First of all, because Jesus addresses it here. It's addressed in the law. We see it's of utmost importance there. We see it's of utmost importance because Jesus addresses it. We see again in both Ephesians 4, so here's two places where the apostle kind of addresses honesty and the way that we use our words. We see in both Ephesians chapter 4 and in Colossians chapter 3 that Paul, once he has established these deep and profound gospel truth in the opening chapter, I mean, Guys, you guys know, so if you read Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14, it is a grammar teacher's worst nightmare. It is a massive run-on sentence. So go, go look at Ephesians one, three through 14. It's one sentence and it will drive the grammar people crazy. And so he spends a whole couple of chapters establishing these deep and profound truths of the gospel and what he immediately, and, and then you got Colossians one, talking about the preeminence of Christ. It's this worship song that Paul bust into about Christ's preeminence. And yet what almost immediately follows in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 is this in Ephesians 4, put away falsehood. And then in Colossians, lie not to one, I might have got those two mixed up, lie not to one another. So Paul is giving us something deep and profound about the gospel, about Jesus himself and nearly immediately says, and this has implications on how we interact with one another. Put away falsehood, don't lie to one another. And so the gospel, as, as, a, as a great theologian, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the gospel is always present doctrine and is concerned with even the smallest details of life and living. It's all, the gospel is always and ever present in every sphere and area of your life. And so let's read this passage together. And then we're just gonna try to, just gonna try to understand what Jesus wants us to hear. It says this. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let, one, let, what, you simply, what, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so let's not forget, I'm gonna say this every week through these six themes, okay? So if you're getting tired of hearing it, I'm gonna keep saying it. I've got three more weeks to say it, okay? I'm gonna say this. 
We're not gonna forget what Jesus is doing, at, doing throughout these six topics that he addresses, anger, lust, divorce, um, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemies. We cannot forget that what Jesus is doing is he's not correcting the Old Testament. He's not correcting the law. Remember, he says in 17 through 20, remember the context, that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he's not, he's not correcting the law. He's not correcting Moses. He's not correcting the Old Testament. But what he is doing is, is he is correcting what the misinterpretation or misapplication had been by religious leaders of this day. And so the, the, the religious leaders had kind, of, had kind of taken the corner on interpreting what God had to say in his law. And so they would begin to teach things in such a way that was not accurate with what the law actually said. If so, if you wanna see um, in the Old Testament <coughs> what is said, I need some bacon. Somebody get some bacon? Yeah. If, you want, if you weren't here last week, you won't understand. Um, if you want to see in the Old Testament um, what is said here, what Jesus is referring to, um, there is some combining. You're not gonna find this direct statement, again, because Jesus is not quoting the law or the Old Testament. He's quoting in a misinterpretation. So he says, you've heard that it was said. Said by who? The religious leaders, not by the law. And so what seems to have taken place, we don't know, remember safe circle right here. Um, what seems to have taken place is that, is that they had taken, in some way they had combined Leviticus 19.12 and Numbers 30, verse two. They'd kind of taken these two verses, combined them and kind of created their own ethic for oaths and vows and, 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 and honesty within, with under God's law. <clears throat> and so we may be able to, we, we may be able to apply here a really important principle that we discussed in regards to divorce last week, and that's this, that the presence of this being in the law in the first place was, um, was, was very possibly because of the sinfulness and the hardness of heart of men. And so you remember last week we talked about Jesus, they, they come to Jesus and they say, is it, is it permissible for us to, to divorce our wives for, for any reason? And if not, then why did, why did Moses command it in the law? And Jesus said, Moses didn't command it, but it was because of your hardness of heart. Well, it could possibly be that even these restrictions around this law also existed because the, the, the people of God had gotten in such a, a habit and a routine of being dishonest with one another. And so it's, it's possible that, that, that Jesus is, is, is saying, hey, listen, there's something much more fundamental to this law than just what the law actually says. And it may be because you're wicked and you're sinful and you can't live honest lives of integrity. And so let me kind of correct that. And so the propensity that man had because of sin to lie, steal, and cheat his fellow men out of things may have been some of the reason why this was in the law in the first place. And so sin had made life so chaotic and so the law came in at many points to put some reins on the chaos. So this, this issue of divorce, we won't bring it up too many more times. This issue of divorce was a, was a way for, for, for there to be some control over what man had turned into something way too lackadaisical. And so there were some things that were established in the law that just said, listen, the, the, the wickedness of heart is, the wickedness of man's heart is just disgusting. And so there's going to be some things put in place around this. And so another thing that seems to have been going on was that once the law and the guidelines were established, men began taking oaths over everything. We see that here in the text. And so it says, don't take an oath at all. Don't take an oath by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or even yourself. 
And so there were oaths being taken over all kinds of different things and, and in the name of all kinds of different things. Anything became grounds for some deep and binding contract. And, and like I said, as we see in the text, a promise could be made on the head of anything. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this is a, this is a gross misapplication and misunderstanding of the law of God. And so it's, it's possible also that in the Pharisees' attempt to keep the letter of the law so strictly, they were even taking oaths on immoral and unjust things because we know that they were so, they were, they were, they were so um, preoccupied with keeping the letter of the law that as long as I make an oath and I keep it, as the law does say, then I've obeyed God. I've, I've obeyed God because, I, because as the law says, keep, take an oath and do it this way. So they may have been entering into wicked agreements that was harmful to their neighbor. And because they did it the right way, they were able to ignore the weightier matters of the law. And so there were just all kinds of things that the, that the, that the religious leaders had been teaching the people of God that was a, a very far and distant misunderstanding of what the original intent of the law was. And so Jesus then corrects this interpretation. He corrects this interpretation in harmful practice and gives what God's vision is for his kingdom. He says this, I say to you, do not take an oath at all by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So Jesus corrects this interpretation and this harmful practice and gives God's grand vision for his kingdom. He says, let simply your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's, let's not forget, just kind of a, a little bit of a, of a sidetrack. Let's not forget the point that we have highlighted in previous weeks is that Jesus here is speaking for God. Jesus is speaking as God, right? Jesus is not shy about his authority. He is the son of God. And what Jesus says has great authority. For, for Jesus to come in here and to say, but I say to you, the weight of that should not be lost on us. Because in these people's minds and culture, these religious leaders were direct mouthpieces of God. And Jesus is saying, don't listen to them. Listen, listen to me. I say to you this. And so Jesus is setting himself up. He is setting himself up and over every earthly authority that exists. Hey, that's a, by the way, that's a, we're not gonna get off on this today too deeply. That's a, a huge issue in our lives. And I'm not talking about in our culture, I'm talking about us. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk about us for a minute. This idea of authority, this, this, this concept of, of, of authority that we have in our lives. First and foremost, that God is our authority. And, and so much of, of our deviation from what God's will for our lives is is a matter of authority. Who has ultimate authority in my life? And Jesus here is saying, I do. I have authority. Submit yourself to me. And so, Back to where we were going. What Jesus says here is undoubtedly difficult to understand, but as I challenged us last week, our starting point is what? Agreement with God. Agreement with God. It is what serves as our authority, um, is, is God and his word, and it is what is sufficient to equip us for every good work. It attests about itself. That it is sufficient and it will equip us for every good work. And so we, our starting place is, what, is, what does God's word have to say, okay? Now, what that, what that doesn't mean is, again, is that we can understand 
every single little piece of it. It is, we're able to understand enough to know who God is and who we are and what God's will for our life is. But, but y'all, it's kind of hard to understand some things in this, isn't it? It's hard to understand some of these things. And so it's undoubtedly difficult to understand, but our starting point is just saying, God, as soon as you show me, as soon, and, and before that too, but, but if, you, in your, if, you're, if you're in a place of uncertainty and not knowing something, then just taking on this posture of God, I will submit myself to your will. I will submit myself to what it is that you have to say. And so from that, is Jesus saying here that we must never take any kind of step of confirming our word beyond just a simple yes and no, and that no situation ever exists that we give more than a yes or no? Well, let me answer this. What we know is that throughout all of scriptures, in, in, in various places, and I'll give you some references, God himself in the Old Testament, which it's not always, it's not always good and safe to compare ourselves to God, by the way, just, just so you know. Um, but God himself in the Old Testament establishes oaths and covenants. Various places by the apostles and the writers of the New Testament refer to taking a vow or an oath. Um, in the New Testament, Romans 9, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 1.23, Hebrews 6.16, they all give examples of at least this covenantal language, this oath language, vow language being taken. And so there seems to have been a, a gross abuse of the name of God, of the image of others, the power of God that is displayed in creation in taking oaths. That's what Jesus is addressing here. Don't take an oath at all. You're taking oaths by, by heaven, uh, by earth, by Jerusalem, by the great king, by yourself. And God's saying, none of those things are yours to take oaths on. None of those things belong to you. None of those things are under your sovereign power and control, and yet you're taking oaths upon them. And so, first of all, know that Jesus here, Jesus here isn't making everything about oaths and vows. That's what the Pharisees had done. They had made everything about oaths and vows. Jesus is coming in and his primary aim here is to, is to uh, uh, sorry, it doesn't seem that Jesus' primary aim here is to address, address the topic of oaths, but the integrity of disciples, the integrity and the honesty of kingdom citizens. And so what the Pharisees had, had likely done had, uh, was created an interpretation and a system where there were binding and non-binding things that someone could say. Jesus is saying here is there is no such thing as a non-binding word in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as a binding word and a non-binding word if you are a disciple of Jesus. Your word is your bond, right? So the Pharisees had said, there is a, a kind of oath and a word that we can say that's really non-binding, if we, if we don't take an oath, and, and only if we take an oath, that's when our word is binding. And Jesus is saying here, no, you've made everything about oaths and contracts and vows. Jesus is saying there's no such thing as non-binding and binding oaths. They're all binding. <laughs> They're all binding oaths. He's just getting us back to the fundamental understanding of the created order of what God had created. And so Jesus also in verse, 30, verse 36, let's read 36, do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And so here in verse 36, Jesus seems to indicate that oftentimes an oath and our dishonesty is a way to play the part of God. You're just like, think about that. That, that oftentimes, that the way that they had created this system was their own way of putting themselves 
in the place of, of God. He says, don't take an oath by your own head. You don't have control even of yourself. I created you. I'm sovereign over you. I'm powerful over you. You can't make a hair white or black. And so these people had begun to take control of their own lives without submitting themselves to the kingdom and the king that, that God was sending. And so there's a lot packed into this final verse, verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Simply put, when a Christian speaks, when a Christian, when a disciple speaks, it is always in the presence of God. You are always in the presence of God when you speak as a Christian. Anything else that comes from simply yes or no, Jesus says, comes from evil. Now, I don't understand all of that. We're gonna, we're gonna, tr we're gonna try to understand some more, but Jesus, we have to get on the same page here with Christ, with his word, that when a Christian speaks, it is, it is always in the presence of a holy, just, pure God. Your word as a kingdom citizen is in and of itself a word and a commitment to God and before God. You are in the presence of God with your work. Sim similarly, it is, a, it is a recognition of the extreme value and worth and dignity of another person when we keep our word to our brother or our neighbor. Can I just say, like, one way to, to diminish the dignity and the worth and the value of a fellow image bearer of God is to lie to them? That's why Jesus, in the Ten Commandments, don't bear false witness against your brother. I mean, when, have you ever just kind of thought about that practically or seen it play out that like when false witness is, is, is born of someone or is, what, what help do they often have? It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to have false witness born against you. And, and what it does, I think what Jesus is saying here and what the Pharisees had probably done is they had, be, they had begun to diminish the worth and the value and the dignity of those in the community that God had created and said, this person is, is worth this kind of dignity. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is you want to dishonor God and you want to devalue another human being, lie to them. You wanna see how much we desire to be in the place of God and to crave power and position and security? Then evaluate your propensity to be flippant with the truth. Like I said a while ago, sometimes I shock myself at how quickly a lie just flies from my mouth. It's shocking. I mean, I'm just like, why did I just say that? Why did I? So I heard someone say that uh, the, the, the biggest lie in the, in the field of higher ed and academia is, yeah, I've read that book. <laughs> I've read that book. Yeah, oh, oh, that book, that you just, yeah, I've read that. Um, I, I looked up a, a list of like the top 10 lies and it, just to kind of be fun, I, I, was, I don't even have this in my notes. I wasn't even gonna bring it up. Uh, but, but just a few of those that I remember is, I'm almost there. It's like lie number one. Um, what's another one? I have, I think the top one, I think number one was, um, I have read the terms of, <laughs> check the box. I have read the terms and agreements. We've all done it, right? Hey, here's another one. And I had a, a junior high Bible teacher um, that really challenged me on this. 
Here's another one. Um, I'm praying for you. I'll pray for you. Or I prayed for you. In fact, this morning, um, I, I, I sent a text message. It's so funny how this works and, and how God's word reveals the, the depths and the darkness of our heart. This morning, um, I, I'll just say his name, John Vincent. John is, is heading out to California. John is uh, to pick up his, his granddaughter. And um, he sent me a message the other day and, and I texted him back and um, I, I typed, <coughs> um, I'm praying for your trip. And I, as I was talking about it, I was like, I've not prayed at all for his trip. <laughs> I've, not, I've not done that once. And so I prayed and then I sent him the message that I've prayed for your trip. But I've, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of, of just being flippant and, and, and so lackadaisical with my words. In fact, you can look at the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden and you can see the string of lies woven into sin in the garden, can't you? I mean, it's really what, it's really kind of what the original sin was, was just fully woven with, is, is lies and deception. We, we recognize that what happened there was the result of lies and the calling, calling of the truth into question. Lies come from a place of evil and wickedness in us. That's just where they come from. When we lie, when we lie, we do not look like our father, for whom it is impossible to lie, as Hebrews 6.18 would say. We do not look like our father, God, but we look like the devil in whom there is no truth, as John 8.44 would say. When we lie, we do not look like our father, we look like the devil. And so you don't look like the world primarily. Obviously, we know that our world is full of deception and full of lies. And so we know that that's there, but what does that mirror? That mirrors the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And so when we lie, we don't first and foremost look like the world. No, that would be letting yourself off the hook a little too much. We look like, we look like Satan, the, the deceiver in whom there is no truth. I'm, I'm not gonna call out a name, um, but, but, I was in, but I was in a conversation with, with someone here in our church, not my wife, I, have to, I always have to say that, okay? It's like, not my wife. I can't, I'll put anybody else on the spot, but not her, okay? Um, <clears throat> not my wife. Um, so I was in a conversation with someone in this room and I asked a hard question. Okay, it was Thomas, all right? No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Thomas. It was not, it really was not Thomas. Um, so I just lied to you, I'm sorry. Um, it was not Thomas. But this person that I was in a conversation with, I asked them a, a really hard question, I asked them a, a very tough question, kind of put on the spot. And, and they, they quickly responded, no. The answer to the question that I asked was no. And then we went on with our day. We were together kind of throughout the day. We went on, we went on with our day. Uh, about an hour later, this person came to me and said, I don't know where it came from. And I'm, I'm honestly kind of worried about how naturally and glibly it happened, but I just straight up lied to you. And I need to confess that. And it was some, something somewhat insignificant and inconsequential. Something that we just went on with our day, would have thought nothing about it. But this person, just under the conviction of the Spirit of God, came to me on their own an hour later and just said, I need to apologize to you for this. I need to confess this to you. 
So this has stuck with me as an example and a, and a massive encouragement in my, in my own walk and my own pursuit of being a person of truth, being a person that would speak truth and not lies, in my own pursuit of being more and more like the Father, more and more like the Son, and less and less like the devil. And so, like I have said twice already, but this is where it actually landed in my notes, I am, I'm personally amazed at how naturally and freely I can spout a quick, small lie. And I think it's something in each of our lives that we must address and acknowledge. And I wanna give us two things to leave with today. Two things. We did not answer all the questions that we have, did we? We've got a lot more questions now, don't we? Again, let me encourage you. Go study the word. Let's, let's have these conversations. Let's, let's talk. You may have gotten more if I wasn't away at kids camp all week. So, sorry. This is, we're just like, we're just doing what's most important and just reading the text. I wanna give us two quick things to leave with today. First is this. Kingdom citizens and disciples of Jesus practice and pursue radical honesty and integrity. We practice and we pursue radical and, and might I say costly honesty and integrity, something that may cost you your job. Hey, can I just say this, especially in light of, of divorce last week, a, a level of honesty that, that may cost you your marriage. I know it's hard to hear, but because of our own sin, God may not preserve and keep your marriage intact if you choose to live with radical, costly integrity and honesty. I'm not making a statement here about what's permissible for divorce. It's not this sermon today, but I'm just saying our own sin can get us in quite the conundrum, can't it? And when we, when we lie and we choose to live in darkness, I promise you, God would much rather you live in the light and to, to walk in a way that glorifies him. And by his grace, maybe he'll, he'll, he'll create in your spouse or, or whoever that is a, a, a level of grace that they're able to extend to you, but God may not preserve that. And so kingdom citizens practice radical, costly honesty and integrity. That's what we get from this passage. The second thing is this. So you think, okay, kingdom citizens do this. I'm not good at this. I find myself also glibly and, you know, without even thinking about it, spouting off lies. Okay, well, here's part two. Kingdom citizens practice humble and consistent confession. They practice that. It's what the word says. It's really sad how rare of a spiritual discipline confession of sins has become. And many of us don't do it and buck against it because it's too Catholic. Can I tell you, it's not too Catholic. It's biblical. It's it's what the word of God commands us to do is to confess our sins one to another. In fact, the Bible speaks more times of confession to brothers and sisters than to God. We should confess, we should be very much in the practice and discipline of confessing our sins to one another and putting ourselves in places where we're able to do that. And if you are the one who is hearing a confession, the Bible instructs us, be gracious, be merciful. James says, pray for that person so that they may be delivered. Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that they may be healed is what it says. 
So we are not people who hear a confession of something deep and dark and we cast judgment. No, in the community of the people of God, we are gracious and we are merciful. We pray, we listen, we hear. And so I would say that confession of sin is often how God, this is the, I'm not saying this, the word says this. I would say that, the word would say that confession of sin is often how God chooses to heal us of habitual sin. That's what James chapter five says. Pray for this person that they may be healed. Hey, you're, you're wanting to figure out how to get out of this, this, this rut or this, this habit of, of deadly sin that's just destroying you little by little? then obey the word of God and confess your sin to one another. I would, I venture to say, I've, I've said this before and, and maybe I need to stop saying it, but I'm just being honest. Sometimes it's, it's, it's easier to confess my sin to God than to my brother, right? Um, well, I'll just kind of do it in secret and in private so that nobody around me knows. And so my friend, you know, that, that told me the little lie who answered no to my question. I, he could have just kind of dealt with that with the Lord, kind of, you know, which, which, is, which is necessary and needed. By the way, here's the reason why sometimes it's easier to confess our sins to our brothers than to God. It's probably because of a low view of God, okay? So if it's easier to confess your sins to your brothers and more than God, then you're, and, and you kind of have the attitude of, well, I'll just confess it to God and I'll be good. Man, we, Psalm 51, we have an example of repentance and confession where the psalmist is just completely broken over his sin before God because he has a high view of God. And yet we should also be involved in the practice and the rhythm of confessing our sins one to another. And so allow the word to instruct us, to counsel us. And would you just evaluate from this day forward, if not before today, would you just evaluate your propensity and, and your, your, your habit Mine too. Hey, one of, the, one, of the, one of the areas that this addresses the most is with my kids. It's, it's amazing how easy it is to just like tell your kids yes or no just to get them out of your hair, right? I've told my, I've told my boys for the last two years, we're going camping. Dad, are we gonna go camping? Yeah, yeah, we are. And in my mind, I'm like, no, we're not. Well, no, we, we will, we will. I've, I've confessed it in front of everyone in the room. We'll do it when it gets cooler, okay? And so, I mean, think about this in relation to your kids. I think, I think this is an area that, that man, you, you wanna talk about looking like your heavenly father? Man, what kind, of, what kind of danger am I in of teaching my kids something inaccurate and representing my heavenly father in a, in a poor way because of the way their earthly father continues to lie to them? And so I would just challenge us in this. Consider and, and be mindful of the ways that you answer questions. What, what are some things that maybe you've told people for, for, for months and months and months that's just like, that's not true at all. And so that's something that the, that the Spirit of God wants to address in your life. And, and, and just know this, God is a covenant-keeping God. That's the hope that we have. He is a covenant-keeping God who will never lie to us. He will never break his promise. And if you have been saved, if you have been redeemed, there is 
nothing that you can do to remove yourself from his hand because he has said that. He has said that. He is a covenant-keeping God. And that's a, man, that's where our, that's kind of like a, a foundational truth in our hope of the gospel, right? That's, that's, a, that's a fundamental truth is that I have hope for eternity and for today because God won't break his promises. What a, a beautiful truth that we have from our heavenly father that though we are so glib with our words that God's word is certain. And that's because of Christ. Paul says that, G- that Jesus is, the, is the, the yes to all of the, the promises of God. You wanna know if God will keep his promises? Look at Christ. Look at Christ. And so we look to Christ for our hope and, and for, for our security. And so that's our invitation even to the table this morning, to come to the table knowing that what God has done for us in Christ is not some seasonal thing, it's eternal. And that we can come to him in hope and in confidence and in faith, knowing that he will finish what he has started. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. <coughs> Lord, I pray that we, um, we have a, a deeper understanding, Lord, not ultimately about ultimately about what we are to do, because you, you have certainly called us to obedience and faithfulness. But Lord, our ultimate sights are set on what Christ has done. It's finished. And so the work that Christ accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection has been fully, is, is fully satisfactory to you. And so there's, there's not anything in us or that we can do that is fully satisfactory to you on our own good works. But Lord, you do call us to place our trust and our faith in Christ. And so we thank you that when we do that, or that when your spirit awakens our hearts to that reality and the goodness of your grace, Lord, that we in that moment are redeemed and reconciled to our Father. Thank you for being a God who keeps his covenant with us to a thousand generations, that you are the ancient of days and your word is as, is as real as your existence. Thousands upon thousands, as Daniel says, ten thousands upon ten thousands. And so Lord, we just come this morning humbly, confidently, knowing um, that, that as we partake in the, the bread and the juice, Lord, that it is a, a way for our eyes and our minds and our hearts to be taken back to what you've done in our lives, to what you did at the cross, what you've done in our lives, what you're doing now and what you will continue to do until we're with you for eternity. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, amen.